We're in the book of Acts this morning, and we have just about 25 minutes or so to share a few thoughts from this wonderful book of the Bible. I want to encourage you, if you would please, not to talk to anybody. I want to talk to you. Let's give attention to the Bible, not certainly because I'm preaching, but because the Word of God endureth forever. And it's a never-failing book, and we need to get what, it, we, what God put in the Scriptures for us today. The book of Acts is the fifth book of our New Testament. Just by way of review, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they are all uh, synopsis books. They share a little bit about Jesus as the king, as a servant, as a man, and as God. And at the end of each of those books, God records for us Jesus going back to heaven. At the beginning of the book of Acts, God records for us Jesus going back to heaven. And after that, there are 28 chapters that record very generally several years. As a matter of fact, uh, probably almost two decades of time. It doesn't all go, it's not just in the next few weeks. It's, it's time that goes by that Dr. Luke, a physician, a doctor, who records what uh, God shared with him that happened in the early church. And it's so important that we learn some of those things. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus goes up to heaven. In chapter 2, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes down from heaven and fills the hearts of people. Chapter 3 and following, God's people go out and begin sharing the gospel of Christ. And hundreds and even thousands of people come to know the Lord in the first few weeks of this new church. But as time goes on, it needs to be purified. In chapter 5, there's two people who are lying to the Holy Ghost, and God disciplines his people. Chapter 6, it grows, and there's some murmuring. Even in the best of churches, you're going to have some complainers there. You're going to have some problems, some solutions that need to be solved. And the larger the church, the more problems. The more people, the more problems, and they had some problems. But God gave them solution through the people that were already there, and they, they chose seven men who would assist the apostles in that early church. In chapter 7, and we find uh, the first martyr is made. One of those good deacons, Stephen, was stoned outside the city gates of Jerusalem, and his wife became a widow. His kids became orphans, and there was a lot of persecution that took place, and the people scattered. One of his good friends, Philip, went up to Samaria. And then chapter 8, in Samaria, he began preaching the gospel. People got saved. In chapter 8, also, God sent him out into the desert to reach one man, an Ethiopian man from northern Africa, who had come to Jerusalem for the worship and going back empty because he did not know the God of the Bible. But he did have a Bible. And he sat in the back of his chariot reading the Bible, and the Lord sent a messenger to him named Philip. And Philip explained the gospel to him. He went on to Africa with the gospel of Christ, rejoicing after he followed the Lord in baptism. Philip went telling other folks about Christ. In chapter 9, the, antitha, the, the, the adversary of the early church, Saul of Tarsus, the ringleader of the persecution who the Bible says he gave havoc to the church. He persecuted. He was not a respected person. It doesn't matter if it was a man or a woman or if it was a child. If it was a widow, he didn't care. Anyone who believed in Jesus, he wanted them arrested. And he, re he caused great difficulties. But then he came face to face with Jesus. In chapter 9, you can read it. He came to Jesus face to face, and there was just no match. Jesus over overpowered him. But a good thing he asked Jesus. He said, number one, who are you? Number two, what do you want me to do? Every Christian ought to come to that conclusion. 
Find out who God is to you. That will chair a lot of things. That will determine your schedule. That will determine what you do on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning. That will determine your, your investment of time and money. and It will determine if you'll tell others about Christ. Whoever Christ is to you determines a lot of your behavior, your response, your actions. When Jesus is low on the totem pole of our life, we will live low lives. When he is high in our, lifted up in our life, we will live higher and more holy and committed Christ, living uh, Christ-like lives for sure. He said, Lord, who are you? He found who he was. He said, okay, now what do you want me to do? And the Lord led him. And he would lead him to be put away for a while. Two years in Arabia, one year in Damascus, several years, uh, he went back to Jerusalem and it wasn't a popular place. He ended up going back to his hometown of Tarshish and spending time there until God would lay on the heart of Barnabas to go pick him out and find him and bring him back to the church at Antioch, which would become the new headquarters of the gospel of Christ, moving from Jerusalem to Antioch. And he would go teach there. And we're almost there. And in chapter 11, of course, uh, while uh, Saul is away learning more about the things of God, God begins to work with his counterpart, Peter. Peter is a, uh, he is a young, he's a man who met Jesus in his younger years, spent three and a half years with him. He would become the leader of the church. He would write two books of our Bible, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And God had to teach him some things. One of the things he had to teach him is that God was the God not just of the Jews, but of the whole world. He loved the whole world. He wanted the whole world to come to Christ. And Peter saw things through the lenses of his own nation of Israel. And God had to broaden his scope. And by the way, it's a good day when you and I have our scope broadened as well. We realize that God loves Ham, Indiana. He loves Chicago. He loves Northwest Indiana. He loves where you live. He loves the people in our neighborhood. He loves Americans that are like us. But he also loves the 96% of the world that doesn't live in America. And if you understand that, you ought to do something every week so people can hear about Jesus. You ought to pray for missionaries. Give uh, aggressively to the work of the Lord and pray that God would bring others and would call many servants from our church to go to the ends of the earth. Fifteen couples this year have left our church and who were reached by our, were either reached by our ministry or they were, they were trained at our college, have gone off to other places of the world to live their lives there at our support and our prayers. And well, we ought to pray that God will continue to bring laborers in chapter 11, he explains all that God showed him when he went to go see Cornelius in chapter 10. And in chapter 12, we find that persecution once again comes to the church of Jerusalem. And Peter is arrested. His counterpart and friend of many years, James, the brother of John, is killed with the sword. And God does a miracle here. And I want you to share a few thoughts I think would be very helpful to us today. Where What we're thinking about is what happened then, almost 2,000 years ago, how does it relate to us in 2021? Let's begin in verse number 1. Can you please look at chapter 12, verse number 21? Now, about that, about that time, Herod, this, these are probably 10, 11 years after that Jesus has gone back to heaven, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. He said, now about the time, Herod, now Herod the king, he is the grandson of the Herod that killed the babies at the time of the birth of Jesus. You remember that? How that Jesus was born and he couldn't find him because he moved off to Egypt. And so Herod, trying to keep the king from uh, being growing up, 
killed every Jewish little boy in that region. And his grandson is now in charge. His uncle was the man who killed John the Baptist. It was his uncle that uh, John the Baptist, uh, he, took, he beheaded him. So these guys, are, they, they, they have, uh, they're politicians, but they have no interest in right or wrong only for their own benefit. And boy, some things just don't change sometimes, don't you think? But here Herod, he's, he's there. Look, if you would please, verse number one. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. So he uh, gave his now, he's persecuting certain leaders of the church. Look at verse number two. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Eleven words to tell us what happened with James. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. You know, just an interesting thought here. This leader... This adversary to Christ and to the local church came and stretched forth his hand against probably one of the main, of course, there were Peter, James, and John. He was one of the three of the 12 that God invested, Jesus invested much time into. He was one of the leaders, I think, of the early church. But now he's been taken in and been killed by the sword. I want you to notice here, it's kind of interesting because Peter will also get arrested. Let's look, if we can, please, at the next verse, and I want to make some applications in a moment. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, Herod did, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Now, these were the days of unleavened bread, or the Passover was coming during this season of time. So he went ahead and killed James, and he found out some of the adversaries of the local church were happy about that, and they said, well... Maybe, what's the next guy? So he arrested Peter, the next main leader of the church, and brought him into the prison. But it was the time of the Passover, and the Jews uh, did not have people killed during that time. And he, trying to, be, to play to his audience there, kept him in jail during the Passover. Look, if you would please, at verse number four, and that's what I assume here. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four... Uh, quadrants of soldiers, that's 16, four times four, so there's 16 of them who are guarding one prisoner. And the Bible says to keep him, intending after Easter, after the Passover, to bring him forth to the people. Verse number five, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Peter in particular, for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers and bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So 16 men are responsible for this one soldier. Two of them are chained to Peter and on each side of him. And behold, the angel of the Lord came unto him and a light shined in the prison and he smote Peter on the side woke him up, raised him up, and saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, or put your clothes on, and bind on thy sandals, put your shoes on. And as he did, he said unto them, Cast thy garment about thee, put your coat on too, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not, 
that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought that he saw a vision. He wasn't sure what was really happening. He didn't know if he was in a dream or a vision or this was actually happening to him. He did not understand at the time. Verse number 10, and when they were past the first and the second ward, they came into the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of its own accord. That was remote control before there was remote control. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectations of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, by the way, that's always a good thing to do. Think about something before you do it. How many of us, we struggle with that sometimes? You know, our mouth goes in neutral, or, or excuse me, our brain goes in neutral, our mouth goes in dry. Before we think about something, I think I love about Joseph. He, while he thought on these things, Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Peter had this happen, and he thought about, what is God trying to tell me here? What's going on? Let's look what he says in verse number 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. They called him John Mark. He would be very instrumental in the work of the Lord later on where many were gathered together praying. And as as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came and hearkened, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. He was there, she heard his voice, and so happy, she didn't even open the door. But ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad, you're a nut. We're praying for him to get out. He can't be out there yet. Have you ever prayed something you weren't sure that you really had the faith to believe it, but you still prayed? That's where they were. They were, doubt, they were doubting. So a lady, a girl comes in, Rhoda says, hey, Peter's outside the gate. He said, you're a nut. You're mad. And she constantly affirmed that it was even so. And then they said, it is his angel. They they believed more in a ghost than that God would answer their prayer. That's a good thing for October 31st, isn't it? Then Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They couldn't believe it. And he was beckoning to them with his hand to hold their peace. Calm down. Declaring to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison And he said, go, show these things unto James. Now, James had already passed away. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book book of James, which I believe to be the next major mover and shaker and pastor of the church of Jerusalem. He said, go tell the new pastor at the church of Jerusalem that took James, the apostle's place. Go tell him and tell the brethren. And then he departed and went into another place. The last time you'll hear of Peter in the book of Acts last time the Holy Spirit puts him in the pages of the book of Acts is right there. He goes to another place. It's a very unique story. It's a miraculous story. But I want you to notice a couple things I think can be helpful to us today. First of all, the church and Christianity will always have its nemesis, will always have its adversaries. Sometimes they'll come from government leaders like it did here. Sometimes they'll come from Facebook. (laughs) They'll come from social media. They'll come from local authorities or folks who are upset about different things, but it'll always have some 
adversaries. He'll always have it. It just is just that they all that that to live God in Christ Jesus are going to suffer some persecution. Now, quite frankly, sometimes we as a church members, we're worthy of criticisms that we get. We have not done a good job loving and helping victims in years gone by, and there are things that we need to learn about many things. But the truth of the matter is, the local church that is getting the gospel out, that is moving on for God, is going to have adversarial relationships. It's going to have some problems. They're going to come against it. And that is no different today than it was at that time. And here Herod rose up. And Herod is not, they're going to end this chapter without finding what happens to Herod. I would just say to you, friend, if you ever think about attacking the house of God or the church of God, you ought to think twice. You ought to be careful about that. Because the church is the house of God. It's the bride of Christ. I love my wife, Lyndon. I'm very thankful that she's my bride. And I want to be a nice person, but I would not be nice if you mistreated my bride. I'd probably try to pull your, head, your arm off and hit you over the head with it or do something. Pinch your head off and spit in the hole. <laughs> I'd find something to do and say, listen, hey, not going to do that. That's my bride. I love her. And Christ loves his church. He's very patient. He's very long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish. But I would just say, listen, if you want to, if you want to, form, a, if you want to form some kind of a, a heresy against a local church, I'd be careful about that. God knows how to take care of his man. He knows how to take care of his church. He knows how to fix things. It's his wagon. He can fix it. He doesn't need my help or your help. I think every once in a while, and of course the satanic, is the, he's the accuser of the brethren. You're joining forces with Satan when you begin to attack another Christian, another brother or sister, a work of God. And, and every work of God is going to go up and down. They're going to have challenges. But I would not take that into your own hand to do that. Herod did. And Herod is going to be dealt with before we end the chapter. The Bible says his body will be eaten with worms. God's going to deal with him very publicly and very drastically and very suddenly. Bible says he that being often reproved. And I think whenever we are critical people against God's people, against other brothers or sisters in Christ, God is talking to us while we're doing that, saying, you better knock it off. You better quit. And he that being often reproved, hardened his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. God's going to deal with him, and God dealt with Herod. I think persecution is a general thing that's going to happen to God's people. Number two, I want you to notice that James died of the sword. Eleven words in verse number two. And then 17 verses to tell how God delivered Peter. One verse tells us in 11 words how God allowed James to die. Let me just remind you of something real quickly. Do you think God loved Peter more than he loved James? No. Why did God allow James, that, uh, that vibrant servant of Christ, that followed him the same length of time and maybe even preceded Peter in following you? Why did he allow him to be killed by Herod and then allowed Peter to exit with a jailbreak? Does anybody know the answer to that? I don't think we do. I think there's some things that just God knows and it's his business. In our difficult times here over the last several years, many of our loved ones have passed away. And when God sees a loved one pass away that has been saved by his grace, he's happy. 
He says, precious in the sight of the Lord, the death of his saint. He says, hey, I've been waiting for you. We have to grieve. We have to figure that out. We have to say, you know, oh, man, I miss them. And it's understandable. Talked to a lady yesterday. She said, well, my daughter, she died at 37. And for two years, I was mad at God. I didn't want someone to pray with me. I didn't want to pray. I didn't talk to God. I didn't let him talk to me and someone say, pray with you. No, I'm not. Why don't you pray with me? And on purpose, she burned two years of her life being mad at God. And she said, I just, I'm so sad and embarrassed, but I'm so grateful that God was patient with me when I was so dumb to point my fist at God's face. Why did you take my daughter at 37 years old? You know, dear friends, let me just tell you something. A wonderful thing I learned years ago in this church is take God off trial. <laughs> Look, when something good happens to you, praise the Lord. If something bad happens to you, thank God on credit. And love him and encourage his heart and trust him to know that he is good in good times and in bad times. And let God be God. In Psalm 115, verse 3, the Bible says, Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. You know, God does not owe us anything, not even an explanation. He didn't tell us why he let James die and Peter have a jailbreak, supernaturally so. I don't know why. And I don't know why people die, but I do know this, nobody, some die young, but no one dies early. It's a point that a man wants to die. Just tell you something, friend, you got death looking at you. It's coming. You're not going to avoid it. You can cancel your dentist's appointment. You can cancel your doctor's appointment. You can cancel your B&B appointment. You'll not cancel your appointment with death. You'll be there when it happens. And you know at that moment, God will be good. God will be right. He's always good. He's always right. And we let God be God. And I don't understand why he would spend 11 words saying, oh, James was, the brother John was killed with the sword. And then spend 17 verses telling me how that Peter got supernaturally awakened out of 16 guards around him and taken out of a jail. And I want you to notice something else real quickly. Not only do we have a persecuted church, not only do we have a providential God, but we have a praying people. I want to encourage you to be a praying church. To have a praying church, we need to have praying people, praying deacons, praying deacons' wives, praying Sunday school teachers, praying pastor, praying pastor's wife, praying pastor's children. Praying choir members and orchestra members and people who run a camera, people that uh, usher. You know, this church, you know one thing that caused them to pray, and that was crisis. I don't know about you, but I don't want a crisis to cause me to pray. I'd like to be in prayer already. But it was a crisis, and they were praying through the night. They were over at, at John Mark's mother's house, Mary's house, and probably a wealthy lady in Jerusalem, and they're all praying there. It has a gated a security in the back, and the people of God are praying that Peter would get out of jail. Now, I want you to know that there is something happens when people pray. Even if they pray and they have doubt in their heart. We're supposed to pray without wrath and without doubting. Two things that hinder our prayer life is being angry while you pray and praying without faith. God wants to, but these guys are praying without faith. Matter of fact, whenever God gave them the answer to their prayer and a girl comes and says, hey, Peter's at the front gate, this is great. Oh, you're a nut. Let's go back to prayer, can we? They were praying for that very thing to happen and they were doubting it was going to happen. 
But aren't you glad God is gracious? I like what the man said in the New Testament. Lord, I believe, but help thou mine. I believe, but Lord, I got a lot of this I'm struggling with. Would you help me? I want to encourage you to be a praying church. Our time is up for this morning. We have next week a Veterans Day. I want you to pray this week that God would bring veterans to the Lord Jesus Christ, their families. Pray that God would use you and use me to encourage people to come to know Christ as we witness this week. In December, we have three weeks we're going to witness to people every Sunday morning with a beautiful choir and orchestra, a 22, 23-minute musical that's going to be, I think, just blow your socks off. It's going to be, there's been so much time and effort put into it for the glory of God. And for the encouragement of lost people. But let me, friend, I don't want to show up without the Holy Spirit showing up. I want to encourage you. We have 15 prayer meetings this week sometime throughout our ministry in different locations. Would you go to one? Could you find one that you'll go to? Maybe it's in the morning or night before church, after church. Look in your bulletin today. They're all there. Why don't you say, Lord, help me to be a praying Christian. Single moms, why don't you consider coming? Single dads, you come and marry Senior adults, children, teens, find a time and begin to pray together in corporate prayer. I think the reason God broke Peter out of jail was long in part because of a group of people in a home somewhere that were praying. Most of us are willing to pay the price. We're few willing to pray the price. It's much easier to write a check, give to the offering, than it is to pray. We need to learn to pray as a church. And that will just start with you. Why don't you draw a circle around yourself and say, God, please make the person in this circle a prayer warrior. Make me someone who will pray. Make this church a praying church because I go here. Let me see things only God could do, only explain. Well, I tell you, this 17 verses of, of Peter's jailbreak is pretty exciting. I'm looking, go, looking forward to going to the cinema of heaven and watching that one. A lot of things happened there. But it happened in direct response to a praying people. I wonder what could happen in our life and our world as a result of your willingness and my willingness to stay. Hold on a second. Let's pray. Get a friend and pray. Pray alone. Pray together. Pray in corporate. These all people are there together. Sometimes people say, I don't really care too much about that corporate prayer. If I want to pray, I'll pray with myself. And you can do that. But in the Bible, God got the people together. And there were some things that happened. And quite frankly, I'd like to be a part of a life in a church that only God could explain. Amen. I mean, you're working on bus routes. You want God to do something in your bus route? Pray. Amen. You want God to do something in your Sunday school class? Pray. You want God to do the big things? Pray. Here we find a persecuted church. A church that experienced God's providential decision. One went to heaven, the other one stayed. One died, the other one escaped. It was God made those decisions. Trust him. Don't get mad at him. Don't put him on trial. Millions of people have gone through what you're going through. Trust him. Love him. Thank him for his wisdom. Thank him for his providence. And then pray that God would help and do some things that only God can do. Let